The first reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 19, and beginning at verse 1 to 6. The first reading may be found on page 73 in the Visitor's Bibles. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Ephodim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Here ends the reading. The second reading comes from Deuteronomy. Uh, two little sections. Deuteronomy chapter 6, reading from verses 1 through to uh, 9. And in your church Bible from the foyer, you'll find that on page 176. Then we're going to move over the page to chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. These are the commands, decrees and the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, Love the, Lord with, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them in the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Over to chapter 7 from verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out, of the, out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God 
keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. But those who hate him, he will repay, of their, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay their face who hate him. Therefore, take care to follow the commands, decrees and laws I give you today. It's a privilege, not a right. Uh, I'm sure that you've heard that before. Uh, I heard it from my parents at various times, I think. It's a privilege, not a right. Maybe it was your, uh, your mum or dad who said that to you. Or maybe it was a teacher at school. Or maybe it's in fact been on your own lips uh, as you've spoken to others. What were, what were those things that the people were referring to? What were the, the privileges that you received? Maybe it was when you got to a certain age and it was access to the keys, keys for uh, the family car or for the house. Maybe it was uh, the, 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 the hand on the clock as it got later for your curfew. Uh, you didn't have to come back uh, as, as early when you were out with your friends. Maybe it was at school when you were made a prefect uh, or a, your teacher gave you an extra freedom uh, to, as a privilege in your class. After a little while, though, sometimes those things which are originally granted as a privilege, we can come not only to expect, uh, but in our thinking, we can think, hey, well, we deserve this. This is my right. We can begin to take it for granted. This is one of the things that often happened among the people of Israel, seeing who they were as God's people and, well, taking it for granted. Now, next week uh, and throughout the rest of Term 3, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of James and particularly exploring what it means to live as the people of God. That's where the book of James is focused. Uh, but this week, before we get there, we're going to spend, as Sean has said, some time dwelling on thinking about the privilege that it is to be God's people. What is that privilege? How did it come about and what does it mean for us now? Well, in that first reading from Exodus chapter 19 that we heard, uh, we saw that Israel had been chosen, uh, that God had brought them to himself on eagles' wings to be his treasured possession. He'd done miracles and signs in Egypt. But why did God go to all this trouble? What is so special about being chosen by God? What's, why is that so significant? Why should that strike us? or hold us, or captivate us? Didn't all the people of the earth belong to him anyway? Well, the significance of this is highlighted if we just step through a few passages and remember where God's plans began. You see, in the, in the beginning, creation, God made humanity, male and female, to dwell with him, to dwell with God. He made them in his image, reflecting his glory in a sense, like him but different. They were created, they were limited but they were still like him, relational and ruling over creation under him. They lived with God, that was part of the blessing and they lived under his blessing. Be fruitful, he said, fill the earth and subdue it. Now, this idea of, of blessing and kind of living under blessing, it's often had a slippery kind of meaning. What, is, what does blessing mean? You hear it when someone sneezes sometimes. Um, but what does it mean to bless? 
Well, someone uh, put it, I uh, thought helpfully, and I'm repeating it. Uh, if someone blesses you, it means that they want to do good to you. That's what blessing is about, to do good to someone, to have good intentions for them. Uh, and in, connected with that is following through with those intentions, carrying out those intentions. So this is what it means to bless. And so here is God with humanity, those he has made, made to live with him, and he blesses them, he does good to them. Even just in making them, he's done good to them, making them to live with him, but he blesses them and promises ongoing good to them. It sounds pretty well good, doesn't it? Not just good, but according to chapter 1 of Genesis, very good, double thumbs up. Unfortunately, we know they didn't all live happily ever after. And it's so striking if we see what it is that Adam and Eve did. Of all the things to do, if you think about it, they doubted the blessing of the one who had made them and blessed them. The temptation in the garden, if you like, really began with the question, did he really mean it? That's what the snake was getting at, the serpent. Is he really being good to you? It's quite striking that at the heart of the goodness that God shows to his people in his blessing them, that's the thing that they're called to doubt. Maybe he's actually holding out on you, keeping the goodest bit for himself. And away we go, Genesis 3 and the rest of the Bible. You see how striking that is in those terms, that as standing as those who have been made, well, that's a blessing, and they've been made to be with God, well, that's another blessing, and they've been explicitly blessed, be fruitful and multiply, that then they doubt the blessing. They lose it all. They're thrown out of the garden. They tried to secure what they thought was in was a better blessing on their own terms and they lose it. This is the reality of the horrendousness of sin, something that we need to keep remembering again and again. The foolishness of sin, the tragedy of it. It's essential to keep seeing this. How horrendous is it that they would doubt the one who had blessed them? How foolish to think that good could, could come from seeking another way outside his blessing. And how tragic, tragic, that the consequence of their action, those who had been blessed, are now removed from that blessing, removed from the source of life and goodness. And there are consequences. You will die. Now, as time goes on, nothing really gets better. And it's significant to see this. You see, time doesn't heal this wound, it just festers it. Uh, sometimes you, you get sores or scars or different things and you think, oh, that'll get better over time. But sometimes they get worse, don't they? And you think, gee, I should have gone to the doctor back then. Well, Cain kills Abel, things get worse. And in Genesis chapter 11, at the Tower of Babel, the people unite together in their independence and rebellion against God. Let's make a name for ourselves, they say. In other words, let's show God that we really can bless ourselves without Him. 
that we can do good for ourselves. We don't need him. And God comes and he sees it and he confuses their language and scatters them over the face of the earth. A sign of, of judgment. Now, it's important to see that this isn't just the ruthless, you know, unkind, bigger brother who's walking along and comes into the lounge room and sees his younger brother who's built this tower out of Lego that's towering and bigger and better than the one that he built last week. And so he knocks it over. It's not like that. But actually, this is God, the good God, limiting a united, rebellious human race from continuing further and further, headlong, deeper and deeper into their rebellion against a good creator. God sees this as not good, as it is, and he puts a stop to it. But where are things left? Humanity is scattered over the face of the earth without much hope. You see, it's into this scene, this, this backdrop, this context that God's kindness breaks through again and again. It's here against that stark background of sinful rebellion that shows God all the more as one who is determined to bless, to do good to his creation. And it's what makes what we saw in Exodus 19, God choosing a people to be his own, just so significant, so special. It's quite striking that in the very next chapter of Genesis, from Genesis 11, Genesis 12, God says these words. They should be on the screen, I think. We got these ones? Eddie? We got Genesis 12? Oh, we do, great. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will, notice the words there, I will make your name great and I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I'm sure those are words that many of you have heard before and indeed it's worth etching these into the stone tablets of our minds. Humanity in Genesis 11 sought to make a name for itself in rebellion against God. But here, God's gracious choice is to bless Abraham and make a name for him. That through Abraham and his descendants, God would do good, he would bless all peoples on earth. This is the character of God. Humanity trying to get what's good for themselves, God judging that, but actually saying, I've got a plan which is better. It's these promises here that lead to those promises of a nation. Uh, Back in Exodus chapter 19. You've seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see that there? Brought you to myself. And people hadn't dwelt with God ever since their removal from the Garden of Eden. But now God had chosen a people to be his people, setting apart them for his own, a treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is the heart of what it means to be God's people, the privilege and responsibility that goes along with being God's people. 
Now, as the people of God, they belonged to him. This is the sign, you might often see me doing signs at different points, this is the Auslan sign for belong. If you've got two circles and they're together, they're, they belong, they don't come apart. Well, God's people belonged to him. They were, they were owned by him and, and to be God's, to be held in his hands was a privilege. They'd seen what it was like to live under Pharaoh, hadn't they, down in Egypt? Or they'd seen even what it was like to live under their own law or lawlessness, if you like, in the example of Babel. But now God had brought them to himself, carried them on eagles' wings out of the clutches of danger and they would be his treasured possession. Now, now when you treasure something, you, you set it apart for you as special, don't you? You delight in it. One of the ways that this is expressed is that they are to be, they are holy, a holy nation, holy to God. Now, thinking in terms of bringing holiness and what, what, what holy is down to a, to a, what's an everyday, everyday example of holiness. And I, I heard one that I'd heard before and I thought this is a good one. I'll just get it out of my relatively common bag. And it's this, it's my toothbrush. This is holy to me. You see, it's set apart from all other toothbrushes out there, all the ones that are in your bathrooms at home, for me and for me only. You are not to use it. Uh, Hear that, my children, as well. You are not to use it. Uh, If you would, if you do, it would become desecrated or defiled or unholy and then I'd have to throw it out and get a new one that would be holy to me and maybe I'd put it under lock and key. But you see, it's, it's not just belonging to me, say as our car does or something like that. Um, it's holy to me, for me alone. I might lend you my car, but I'm not going to lend you my toothbrush. If you stay over and you've forgotten yours, I think you'll survive with your finger and a bit of toothpaste. Now, of course, this falls down. It's, it's a good example in one sense. It's holy, holy to me and just for me alone. But it also falls down a little bit when it comes to treasuring it. We don't so much treasure our toothbrushes, do we? Uh, as my wife reminds me, actually, dentists say that you should replace your toothbrush every three to six months for good, good uh, dental hygiene. Uh, so we tend not to treasure our toothbrushes, but maybe, maybe something like... Something like this is a better example of something that you treasure. A husband or a wife. You treasure them, don't you? They are treasured, they are delighted in, enjoyed. Well, God's people, all the more, all the more than a husband or a wife, are treasured, are delighted as His people created to live with Him, rescued to honour Him, delighted in by God. This is the privilege of being God's people, belonging to Him. But those people who belong to Him, God's people, they're also blessed. God wants to do good to them as well. That was part of his plan back in the beginning and it's part of his plan for the people that he's made his own. That's because of who God is. He's a God who blesses. 
That's why, in fact, belonging to Him is such a good thing. Could you imagine belonging to someone who, who wants you for what is not for your good? Who wants, wants to bring harm to you? Or wants to use you for their own good? That would be a horror, wouldn't it? But God, the true God, is unimaginably good. And this God who made the world wants to exert his power to do good to you and through you. What a privilege to be God's people. Now God promised uh, to bless Abraham, we saw in Genesis 12, and he does. He multiplies one old man and one old woman into a whole nation of people whom he rescues and brings to himself. He promised to bring them into a land that was good. And he does. We saw that in Joshua last term. God bringing his people into the land that he had sworn to them. God blesses them materially as they come out of Egypt. They're given silver and gold and clothing, whatever they ask for. And as they come into the land, it will be a good land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Their their flocks and herds will not miscarry. Their harvest will overflow and God himself will dwell with them. To have God and to, have, and to be with his people, to be this close to the God who is good, that is part of the blessing of being God's people. So they're privileged as Israel in who they belong to and in how they are blessed, but there's, well, there's a responsibility that goes with that, isn't there? The privilege and the responsibility. We heard a little bit of that uh, in Exodus chapter 19 and also in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. There's a verse there, uh, it's called the Shema, uh, which means to hear and to heed. This is something for, for God's people to hear and heed. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It can also be rendered, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, He is the Lord alone. He is God alone. The Lord alone is God and there is no other. Hence where the verse goes on to. So love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. God alone is to be your God because you are set apart and holy for Him. Because you belong to Him There's a responsibility to live for Him. That's actually the right expression of worship as well. See how the privilege and the responsibility go together. Being God's people meant both a privilege and responsibility. Now, we're going to explore that responsibility a little bit further on in James. But ultimately, this responsibility obviously wasn't only for Old Testament Israel, it's in Isaiah, this is what God says. It's too small a thing, God says to his faithful servant, it's too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. Isaiah chapter 49, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This God sent his servant, his king, to rescue Israel 
But it wasn't just for them, but it was for all peoples on earth, just as he promised back in Genesis 12. And that salvation which the servant has brought, the Lord Jesus Christ extends even to here in Courageon, in Bilpin, in North Richmond, in Bowen Mountain and Grosvenor. This is where God's plan for salvation has come. And so God says to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of His darkness, out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are privileged to be called God's people, God's chosen people, rescued from the slavery of sin for life with God. And our responsibility in that is to let God be our God, to live His way. Just as for Israel, so as for us, we have a privilege of being God's people and the responsibility of being His people too. There's just two particular things I want to point out at this point as we, as we come to the end. Firstly, the responsibility is part of the privilege. The responsibility is part of the privilege. Often when it comes to privileges and responsibilities, we can easily sort of separate them. We can sort of see one as good and one as not so good. You know, privilege, that's something given that's something, good thing, we'll have that over here, but a responsibility, well, that that's, means I'm going to have to do something and so we'll, we'll put that over here on the negative side. We can then kind of want one without the other, but when it comes to God and being His people, these are actually so joined, they're inseparable. And if we just try and take the privilege, we're actually missing out on a whole lot more. You see, worshipping God alone, obeying Him as is part of the responsibility, something that we must act on, that's actually also part of the privilege of being God's people too, isn't it? Why would you want to go back and follow your old master, sin? Why would you want to submit again to the, to the destruction and the harm that it brought in upon your life and the lives of those around you? But to, to follow a boss who is good, to follow the best boss, what a joy that is. This responsibility, if you like, is actually part of the privilege of being God's people. When we remind each, each other of that, when we dwell on that, we can, leading on to the second thing, we can delight in the privilege. I'm always encouraged by the first question and answer in the Heidelberg Catechism. What is the chief end of man or chief end of humanity? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Sorry, that's the Westminster Catechism. Got that one wrong. Westminster Catechism. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. We can delight in being the people of God because God is really someone to delight in. A God who is insurpassably good. 
We don't delight in this, do we? We throw it away after a couple of months. This is something that many of us can delight in, but God is someone that we can all delight in. When we forget that, when we no longer see His goodness, well then His rule just becomes competition for ours and delight is sucked away. When we forget what He's done, that background, where we've come from, and we begin to take being God's people for granted, it sucks away our delight. As today, you might stand in the sun and delight that the sun warms your face on a cold winter's morning. As we delight when we hug one we love and feel their squeeze. Let's delight in the God who has made us His, together as His people. Amen.